0: there is a quote I keep uh, repeating in my podcast uh, I often repeat it, repeated it to uh, speak about art and uh, I'll tell you the quote uh, art in the blood is liable to take the strangest of forms and uh, this is one of my most uh, I think very telling and very uh, truthful quote uh, as such with regard to art and this was made of course by uh, Sir author Ignatius Conan Doyle the man who is otherwise known largely for uh, being a doctor, (laughs) no, Uh, for being the creator of Sherlock Holmes, almost superhuman detective, but uh, Sherlock Holmes has his uh, dark habits too of indulgence in drugs and uh, of boredom uh, as a counter to boredom, and so he has that part also, but he is largely a good guy. And Sherlock Holmes himself reflects uh, in his stories that if he had been a part of a criminal uh, gang or had a life of a criminal who knows what uh, havoc he, he could have wrecked and for Sherlock Holmes we also have to thank uh, the patience of uh, Sir author Ignatius Conan Doyle because uh, Okay Doyle was born in 1859 and uh, he joined the Edinburgh Medical School in 1876 and he published his first story at around that time, not a Sherlock Holmes story. He graduated in 1881 and he went on to be a surgeon in a steamership. and uh, he got married uh, over that time to Mary Lewis, uh, one of the sister of his patients. practicing as a doctor did come uh, in handy for him. He found his wife thanks to his profession. So I was diverging again, but uh, we have to thank uh, the patients of our author Conan Doyle for Sherlock Holmes because it is when the patients didn't turn up. And in between that time that uh, he was waiting for his patients that Conan Doyle reportedly started writing his first Sherlock Holmes story, a study in Scarlet and uh, I mean all Sherlock Holmes know that legendary story when uh, Dr. Uh, John Watson and Sherlock Holmes meet for the first time and if you want to see a modern version of it I would highly recommend uh, uh, you know uh, the BBC Sherlock uh, series uh, Martin Freeman and of course the great Benedict Cumberbatch who's done I think probably the most uh, contemporary and most uh, I think relatable Sherlock Holmes ever. I think far good from what Robert Downing uh, Jr. did. Although there can be a comparison of that, the direction that direct, the director uh, wanted to take in the Robert Downing Jr. versions because he created a more stylized kind of version, Guy Ritchie. But uh, here in, uh, I think in the British uh, serial version, the Benedict Cumberbatch version, uh, because it's uh, from a source material that is very uniquely British. I think they got it more in the bulls eye than uh, the Guy Ritchie versions. Nobody's fault. I don't think it's fair to compare Downing and uh, Cumberpatch f- for that level because there is director's vision also involved and the screenplay and how it was shot, uh, the camera work and that was uh, the Downing version was more set in the uh, early 20th century London but here it's a modern telling. Anyway, cutting to the chase. I want to read uh, today from uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles uh, came out in 1902. I remember reading the standalone book uh, for the first time and being fascinated by what is happening. Uh, I think in my teenage age, I had read it and it was pretty haunting to read it because the whole atmosphere, whole atmosphere has been had been created so nicely by so airily by Conan Doyle and the legend that is spoken of in the story, and what happens there, and how Watson goes uh, there, and then he f- kind of follows a mysterious man, and and uh, there's a couple out there, and there's a legal, uh, there's a rich hare whose whose life is in danger because of a supposedly family curse. So there are many elements to *The Hound of the Baskervilles*. Uh, I think the BBC did a, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, portion. Uh, that did a very clever take on the a modern take on the story with a nice plot twist uh, which didn't go with Conan Doyle's version which was alright because everybody is familiar with the Conan Doyle version so in a modern adaptation you want to see changes so all things said and done I'll be reading from uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles right from chapter 1 and we'll see how far we can take it and if I can improve my already poor dramatics of reading so probably I can try to be dramatic here and <laughs> create some kind of effect kind of to give justice to what Conan Doyle has achieved here and uh, you are listening to movies music books etc by sneet Kumla this is the book excerpt section it's late Friday night it's 47 minutes past 10 here on Friday night and uh, it's uh, January 21st already of uh, 2022 and uh, catch you on the other side of the bridge with my book excerpt uh, reading of the hound of the Baskervilles* uh, by sir Arthur conan doyle see you on the other side Welcome back Bookworms, you're listening to movies, music, books etc. by sneet Kumla and on the book excerpts episode today we are reading from The Hound of the Baskervilles, 1902 it was first written and continues to enthrall and amaze, it's been 120 years since it's been written and uh, that's a part of the story and uh, chapter 1 Mr. Sherlock Holmes Mr. Sherlock Holmes, who was usually very late in the mornings, save upon those not infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. I stood upon the hearth rug and picked up the stick which our visitor had left behind him the night before. It was a fine, thick piece of wood, bulbous-headed, of the sort which is known as a Penang lawyer. Just under the head was a broad silver band nearly an inch across. To James Mortimer, MRCS from his friends of the CCH was engraved upon it with the date 1884. It was just such a stick as the old-fashioned family practitioner used to carry. Dignified, solid and reassuring. Well, Watson, what do you make of it? Holmes was sitting with his back to me, and I had given him no sign of my occupation. How did you know what I was doing? I believe you have eyes in the back of your head. I have at least a well polished, silver plated coffee pot in front of me, said he. But uh, tell me, Watson, what do you make of our visitor's stick? Since uh, we have been so unfortunate as to miss him and have no notion of his errand, uh, this accidental souvenir uh, becomes of importance. Let me hear you reconstruct the man by an examination of it. I think, uh, said I, following as far as I could the methods of my companion, that uh, Dr. Mortimer is a successful elderly uh, medicine man, well-esteemed since uh, those who know him give him this mark of their appreciation. Good, said Holmes, excellent. I think also that the probability is in favour of his being a country practitioner who does a great deal of his visiting on foot. Why so? Because this stick, though originally a very handsome one, has been so knocked about that I can hardly imagine. A town practitioner carrying it the uh, the thick iron ferrule is worn down and uh, so it is evident that he has done a great amount of walking with it perfectly sound said Holmes and uh, then again there is the friends of the CCH I should guess that to be the something hunt the local hunt to whose members he has possibly given some surgical assistance and uh, which has made him a small uh, presentation in return. Really, Watson, you excel yourself, said Holmes, pushing back his chair and lighting a cigarette. I am bound to say that in all the accounts which you have been so good as to give Of my own small achievements you have habitually underrated your own abilities it may be that uh, you are not yourself luminous uh, but you are a conductor of light some people without possessing genius have a remarkable power of stimulating it I confess my dear fellow that I'm very much in your depth he has never said as much before and I must admit that his words gave me keen pleasure and uh, for I had often been picked by his indifference to my admiration and to the attempts which I I had made to give publicity to his methods. I was proud, too, to think that I had so far mastered his system as to apply it in a way which earned his approval. He now took the stick from my hands and examined it for a few minutes with his naked eyes. Then with an expression of interest, he laid down his cigarette and carried the cane to the window. He looked over it again with a convex lens. Interesting, though elementary," said he, as he returned his favorite uh, corner, returned to his favorite corner of the city, returned to the favorite corner of, of his setting. There are certainly one or two indications upon the stick. It gives us the basis for several deductions. Has anything escaped me? I asked with some self-importance. I trust that uh, there is nothing of consequence which I have overlooked. I am afraid my dear Watson that most of your conclusions were erroneous. Uh, When I said that it stimulated me, I meant uh, to be frank that in noting your fallacies I was occasionally guided towards the truth. Not that you were entirely wrong in in this instance. The man is certainly a country practitioner and he walks a good deal. Then I was right, to that extent. But uh, that was all no no my dear watson not all by no means all i would suggest for example that a presentation to a doctor is more likely to come from a hospital than from a hunt and that when the initial cc are placed before that hospital the words Charing cross very naturally suggest themselves you may be right the probability lies in the direction and if we take this as a working hypothesis, we have a fresh basis from which to start our construction of this unknown visitor. Well, uh, then supposing that CCH does stand for Charing Cross Hospital, what uh, further inferences may we draw? Do none suggest themselves? Uh, You know my methods, apply them. I can only think of the obvious conclusion that this man uh, has practiced in town before going to the country. I think that we might venture a little farther than this. Look at it in this light. On what occasion would it be most probable that such a presentation would be made? When would his friends unite to give him a pledge of their goodwill? Obviously at the moment when Dr. Mortimer withdrew from the service of the hospital in order to start in practice for himself. We know there has been a presentation. We believe there has been a change from a town hospital to a country practice. Uh, Is it then stretching our inference too far to say that the presentation was on the occasion of the change? Uh, It certainly seems probable. Now you will observe that he could not have been on the staff of the hospital since only a man uh, well established in a London practice could hold such a position and such a one would not drift into the country. What was he then if he was in the hospital and not? Yet uh, yet not on the staff, he could uh, only have been a house surgeon or a house physician, little more than a senior student, and he left five years ago. The date is on the stick. So your grave middle-aged family practitioner vanishes into thin air, my dear Watson, and there emerges a young fellow under 30, amicable, unambitious, absent-minded, and the possessor of a favorite dog, which uh, I should describe roughly as being larger than a terrier and smaller than a mastiff. I laughed incredis- incredulously at uh, as Sherlock Holmes leaned back in his settee and uh, blew little wavering rings of smoke up to the ceiling. As to the latter part, I have no means of checking you, said I, but at least it is not difficult to find out a few particulars about the man's age and professional career. From a small uh, medical shelf, I took down the medical directory and turned up the name. There were several Mortimers, but only one who could be a visitor. I read his record aloud. There were several Mortimers, but only one who could be a visitor. I read his his record aloud. Mortimer James, MRCS, 1882. Grimpen, Dartmoor, Devon. House Surgeon, from 1882 to 1884 at Charing Cross Hospital. Winner of the Jackson Prize for Comparative Pathology, with essay entitled Is Disease a Reversion, corresponding member of the Swedish Pathological Society, author of Some Freaks of Atavism, Lancet, uh, 1882, and uh, Do We Progress, Journal of Psychology, March 1883, Medical Officer for the Parishes of Grimpen, Thorsley, and High Barrow. No mention of that uh, local Hunt, Watson said. Uh, poems with a mischievous smile, but a country doctor, as you very astutely observed, I think that I am fairly justified in my inferences uh, as to the adjectives I say, uh, if I remember right, amicable, unambitious, and absent-minded. It is my experience that it is only an amicable man in this world who receives testimonials, only an unambitious one who abandons a London career for the country, and only an absent minded one who leaves his stick and not his visiting card after waiting an hour in your room. And the dog uh, has uh, been in the habit of carrying the stick behind his master, uh, being a heavy stick, the dog has held it tightly by the middle and the marks of his teeth are very plainly visible. The dog's jaw, jaw, as shown in the space between these marks, is too broad in my opinion for a terrier and not broad enough for a mastiff. It may have been, uh, yes, by Joe, it is a curly-haired spaniel. He had risen and paced the room as he spoke. Now he halted in the recess of the window. There was such a ring of conviction in his voice that I glanced up in surprise. My dear fellow, how can you possibly be so sure of that? For the very simple reason that I see the dog himself on a very doorstep and there is a ring of its owner, don't move I beg you Watson, He's a professional brother of yours and your presence may be of assistance to me. Now in the dramatic moment of fate, Watson, when you hear a step upon the stair which is walking into your life and you know not whether for good or ill, what does Dr. James Mortimer, the man of science, ask of Sherlock Holmes, the specialist in crime, come in The appearance of a visitor was a surprise to me since I had expected a typical country practitioner. He was a very tall, thin man with a long nose like a beak which uh, jutted out between two keen grey eyes, set closely together and sparkling brightly from behind a pair of gold-rimmed glasses. He was clad in a professional but rather slovenly fashion for his frock coat was dingy and his trousers frayed. Though young, his long back was already bowed, and he walked with a forward thrust of his head and a general air of peering benevolence. As he entered, his eyes fell upon the stick in Holmes' hand, and he ran towards it with such an exclamation of joy. I am so very glad, said he, I was not sure whether I had left it here or in the shipping office. I I would not lose that stick for the world." -"A presentation, I see," said Holmes. -"Yes, sir." -"From Charing Cross Hospital?" -"From one or two friends uh, there on the occasion of my marriage." -"Dear, dear, that's bad," said Holmes, shaking his head. Dr. Mortimer blinked through his glasses in mild astonishment. -"Why is it bad?" Uh, only that you have disarranged our little deductions your marriage you say yes sir i married and uh, so left the hospital and with it all hopes of a uh, consulting practice uh, it was necessary it was necessary to make a home of my own come come we are not so far wrong after all said Holmes. and now dr james mortimer uh, mr sir mr uh, humble M R C S and a man of precise mind evidently a dabbler in science mr holmes a a picker of shells on the shores of the great unknown ocean i presume that it is mr sherlock holmes whom i'm addressing and not no this is my friend uh, dr watson glad to meet you sir i have heard your name mentioned in connection with that of of your friend you interest me very much mr holmes i had uh, hardly expected so Dolly chloe Phallica skull or such well-marked supraorbital development. Would you have any objection in my running my finger along your parietal fissure? A cast of your skull, sir, until the original is available, would be an ornament to any anthropological museum. It is not my intention to be foolsome, but I confess that I covet your skull. Sherlock Holmes waved our strange visitor into a chair. You are an enthusiast in your line of thought, I perceive, sir, as I am in mine, said he. I observe from your forefinger that you make your own cigarettes, have no hesitation in lighting one. The man drew out paper and tobacco and twirled the one up in the other with surprising dexterity. He had long quivering fingers, as agile and restless as the antenna of an insect. Holmes was silent, but his, uh, but his little darting glances showed me the interest which he took in our curious companion. I presume so, said he at last, that it is not merely for the purpose of examining my skull that you have done me the honour to call here last night and again today. No, sir, no, although I am happy to have had the opportunity of doing this as well. I came to you, Mr. Holmes, because I recognized that I am myself an unpractical man and because I am suddenly confronted with the most serious and extraordinary problem, recognizing as I do that you are the second highest tech expert in Europe. Indeed, sir, may I inquire who has the honor to be the first? Asked Holmes with some asperity to the man of precisely scientific mind the work of monsieur bertillon must always appeal strongly then had you not better consult him Uh, i said sir to the precisely scientific mind but as a practical man of affairs it is acknowledged that you stand alone i trust sir uh, i have not inadvertently uh, just a little i think dr mortimer you would do wisely if without much more ado without more ado you would Kindly tell me plainly what the exact nature of the problem is in which you demand my assistance and That's where the chapter one of the Hound of the Baskervilles ends and uh, It gets very interesting from there that point Uh, But that's quite a racy introduction to Holmes, Watson, another day in their life and then a customer or a client walks in and uh, then things start to get going but a nice stage is set in that chapter one. And Conan Doyle, I think that's why we... I'm still reading from Conan Doyle's works, like, hundred more than 100 years have passed since he wrote this, this particular work, at least. And all of the Sherlock Holmes stories, I think it's now more than 100 years uh, since the last Sherlock Holmes story was written. Uh, because I think he wrote uh, the last one uh, in 1915, the last Sherlock Holmes uh, novel, The Valley of Fear, in 1915. And uh, then on, uh, I think uh, he wrote uh, uh, very psychological, uh, he wrote uh, spiritual works uh, like The Vital Message and uh, different works, very different from what, uh, from the thrilling detective stories of Sherlock Holmes that he wrote in, the, in his final 10 15 years before he passed away at the age of 71 in 1930. So that was my reading of uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sherlock Holmes. Uh, You don't need to read any other Sherlock Holmes story. If you're not read this one, you can directly read it. Uh, Although I have it in an omnibus of uh, all the Sherlock Holmes novels, Uh, there is no dateline or there's no continuity or any relation to any other Sherlock Holmes story for you to not read it. So it stands out as an individual detective novel also. So, that's it from movies, music books, etc. by sneet Kumla. And uh, this was like uh, the book excerpts episode and I was reading The Hound from the chapter first. I think I read the complete chapter of first chapter of The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle featuring the enigmatic, the brilliant Mr. Sherlock Holmes and his friend and uh, chronicler you may say John Watson. Thank you. Happy reading and happy living to you and happy weekend to you.